FYI, and I don't mean fake news, this podcast contains huge spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 229 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason Venable, and welcome once again, our resurrection specialist, straight from the Intercomics podcast, Dan Cole. Hey Dan. Hello, I feel like I'm on here more than I'm on my normal podcast. (laughs) It's been really fun. The challenge will be whether I'm able to keep this up, but... um, (laughs) I'm going to milk it and enjoy it as long as I can. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so this is Resurrection Week 3. It's technically the fourth week since they started, but nothing came out last week, so we'll just pretend that week folded in on itself. So we're going to go with Week 3. And we have a slew of number twos to talk about, and Dan has been gracious enough to come back and discuss them with us. So, um, well, Dan, how's everything going? How, how are things your way? Oh, everything's fine. Um, it's a bit rainy. Uh, I think our country may go the same way as yours um, politically. But other than that, um, <laughs> we'll be we'll be fine. It's all good. It's right. all good. So yeah. Awesome. Well, I want to apologize if I um, make any weird bodily noises. Um, I'm recovering from strep throat, so my scrot my throat my scrot. Ooh, don't say that. Uh, my throat <laughs> is pretty scratchy. <laughs> A scratchy throat and a scrot are not the same thing. Just want to be very, very clear about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, so we have a few books we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to start off with a Weapon X number two. This is written by Greg Park, penciled by Greg Land. So Greg and Greg are back. Inked by Jay. Shh, listen. Colors by Frank Diamarda. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And the cover is by Land, Listen, and Frank Martin. And, you know, I enjoyed the first cover to Weapon X. I think I like this one even a little bit better. Um, And it's still Greg Land, and it's a close-up of Old Man Logan's face. He's got his claws, and reflected in the claws is the face of Sabretooth. Now, it's not quite the same pose, so I don't know if you would call this a straight homage. Well, this is very, very similar to uh, that old uh, McFarlane cover for Incredible Hulk. I think it was 340, where he's yelling at the Hulk, and you see the Hulk in all three of his claws. I don't know. It's a very cool cover, I think. What do you think about the cover, Dan? I think it's quite nice. For a second there, uh, I was mad and thought the reflection was himself. Right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think I'd gone crazy for a second. Yeah. I quite like it. I think you're right. It is a little bit better than the um, last one. Solid, decent cover. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right, though. It is funny, and I've, I've noticed that a few times, that um, current old man Logan with his short gray hair and current pussycat Sabretooth with his short blonde hair, and they both have the big mutton chops. They do look very similar. And, you know, Land uh, makes them look even a little bit more similar, I think, just because that's kind of how he rolls, but I, I thought it was a nice detail on the face. Um, he makes old man Logan look old, but without, like, 
I don't know, better than, say, um, Umberto Ramos's old man Logan, who looks like, you know, his skin is falling off. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a really nice cover. So, um, and no, it's not. Maybe we'll save this. Maybe I'll just say this very briefly and we'll get more into it as we go. But it's not super landy either. I enjoyed that. <laughs> I, you know, I think, I don't know if, if uh, Jay Listen is doing something, because they've worked together for a little while, but I feel like he's inking land differently now. Maybe a little bit lighter. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you might be. Like, like, it doesn't seem as heavy and... I don't know. Maybe that's a choice they made together, but I, I dig it. There's a little bit more sketchy feel to some of his art, which is good. All right, so we start off in the San Francisco peaks of Arizona. And we have Warpath. Um, he's getting a text from his cousin, and he's just, you know, taking a nap in the grass and watching some horses. And then we have kind of this weird scene where a helicopter just kind of is terrorizing the horses for no reason which is kind of interesting um and Warpath's like uh uh no you don't and Dan I have a question (laughs) yeah because I've always just assumed that Warpath like his brother before him you know one of the things that uh, Cameron and I always joke about on the flashback episodes is that their mutant power is to be kind of strong Yes. Well, now they talk about him like he's one of the strongest people on the planet, which is fine. Whatever. But when did he start flying? Well, right, okay. Weirdly, you should say that, because I read this issue, um, and I said this last podcast, I've just read Ed Brubaker's run on uh, Uncanny Expert, and he used Warpath, who did not fly at all right. <laughs> in, in his run. Also, did not sound like this Warpath, because this Warpath sounds like... He's from, like, Texas or something. Um, <laughs> hey, now, watch out. <laughs> uh, sorry, I apologize. No, no, no. But no, I mean, he sounds like, like, uh, I thought he sounded completely different, but that's just me. Maybe I've mis- misread him from Xbox and such forth. And I didn't think he could fly. Then I went on Wikipedia, and apparently he can fly. <laughs> so oh, I was okay. like, what? Apparently it was like something happened in the 90s, like it always does, and then <laughs> he can fly now. Um, oh, okay. Um, he's super, super, super strong, obviously. Right. That's just like, that's how it works. Okay, well, I guess but, I yeah. guess that's real then, just most people don't use it, but um, I guess Greg Pack or Greg Pock, um, you know, saw it on the Wikipedia page and was like, let's go for it. So anyway, he can fly, and um, he rips open the door to the helicopter after he literally brings the helicopter down with two knives, which is pretty badass. Right? Um, it's actually, you know, it reminds me of... He's talking about Texas. Um, I don't know, Dan, if you guys ever got the privilege <clears throat> to see multiple reruns of the show Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> I can see why you may be going with that one. But one of the most infamous episodes and one of the most infamous scenes, Walker, Texas Ranger literally kicks a helicopter out of the sky where he does a jump kick and kicks through the windshield and kicks the pilot and then jumps out 
and the helicopter crashes down, and it's like, Walker, Texas Ranger 1, helicopter 0. <laughs> and, I like, and I feel like this scene is very similar. <laughs> Where he goes and literally just flies at the helicopter with his knives and cuts off the rotors and cuts up the engine and crashes that mother to the ground and, and looks in and there's a crash test dummy. And then this part was interesting. So what happens to the horses? Well, I was kind of like horrified, but they turn into giant robot death machines and stab him a little bit. Yeah. So, it, yeah. It was pretty creepy, and, and good job for Land on the Art on really kind of selling that, I thought, because it is like Terminator horses. It's, you're right. It'd be super scary to see you like out in real life. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like that at all <laughs> <laughs> so then we go to the very nonchalant weapon x uh people uh, monitoring the situation eating their donuts feet up on the desk like oh we got this and um they're getting ready to bring in to collect warpath they have a tube all set up for them and then we see the partial um samples they have for logan and Sabretooth. I did think it was very interesting. Um, I think this is probably just Marvel editorial trying to keep their their ducks in a row. And I know, right, that we have Laura, who's Wolverine, right? She's Wolverine right now, and and as far as I'm concerned, is the Wolverine right now. Uh And Old Man Logan is just Old Man Logan. I thought it was interesting that the Weapon X, who would probably know him more, well, maybe not. Maybe they know him more as well. I just thought it was interesting that his his says Logan and everybody else has code names. Just just found that a little interesting. Maybe they just can't be asked. Maybe because they can type old man. On the, uh... <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So then we are. We speaking of those guys, we switch back to old man Logan and Sabretooth fighting their robots, and um, Logan notices that it smells like them. So he kind of has determined that these robots have some of their genes or genetic powers, right? And so that makes yeah. them pretty formidable. Um, but this, I thought this was a pretty good art as well. So still kind of keeping on the, the upswing for Greg Land so far. Um, and then if you remember from X-Men Prime, we had this Carla lady who is apparently in charge of Weapon X now. So we meet her again and she's watching them fight on her expad and um she deems the mission a success and uh Sabretooth decides to just cut out right he's just gonna run off and um we get a really nice panel of like just the ka 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 like like right out of a horror movie right like you see this fight scene in the woods and you zoom out and all these crows fly away like in a panic and that creepy noise and this is very much like, I, I, I kind of like wanted to check the credits. Did, uh, did M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong write this? Because it felt like, <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way. I, I poke fun, but it's actually a pretty cool little panel. Um, but Old Man Logan chases them down. We get another weird panel where he looks like the old guy from uh, Gremlins, the old Asian guy for no reason. Um, and he does it through most of the issue. It's just this... Whenever uh, Land makes him squint and smile, he just <laughs> looks like he's going to sell you a mogwai. <laughs> but 
Pretty much. But um, so how does uh, how does Logan get uh, Sabretooth to kind of get back on board? By essentially, I don't telling him that he's gonna get them inside a canyon, for none of a better word, right. and they're gonna like take the fight to them and. Um, in the most bizarre manner, he decapitates one and gives it to Sabretooth, who, for some unknown reason, <laughs> wants to eat it. But apparently, there's, there's madness in his... Uh, there's a method to his madness as it blows up in his face. Right. And so then oh, they know that they, they, they have self-destructive mechanisms. Um, and he man- they managed to, like, the robots, who were quite chatty, chatty and starting to kind of remind me of Brainiac, until they open up their robot insides and grow flesh over their body, which is just interesting and disgusting um, yes <laughs> and they decide to like sniff and move on um for one of a better word yeah where save two f- basically it's just like let's come on let's let's just go kill because there's obviously other people they're gonna go after and save two just happily like yep yeah, okay i hate those people more than i hate you so i'll do it <laughs> for one of a better word. yeah yeah, I thought it was interesting that apparently they store the clothes in their belly and then this, the artificial skin like grows out of their back almost like a almost like a venom symbiote or like an exo man of war kind of thing. Um, and that panel of the skin growing over the, the robot uh, skeletons is it's pretty creepy. It's very, very nicely done. Um so then, just like in a CW show, it's suddenly full nightfall. <laughs> <laughs> just kind of out of nowhere because we want to film it at night. Uh, and then we kind of have this humorous scene uh, where Logan and Sabretooth are chasing the, the humanoid robots now. And Logan's like, remember, we need one alive. we got to figure out what's going on. And Creed stops and gets distracted by a bunny rabbit. And he asks how he's going to eat a rabbit. <laughs> And then they make some actually pretty funny jokes. So get on Greg Pak for uh, I enjoyed the kind of banter about the the dating site about Creed being on a dating site. Um, I thought that was funny, and um, and of course they talk about smelling lies again, which is always weird. But um, yeah. So then we go back to um, the Weapon X facility. The doctor gets on to the people because they don't they're complaining about overtime. And we see that Warpath has been captured, but they want to prep all of the tubes. They feel like they feel confident they're about to capture. I guess they're running away to set a trap. I mean, there's got to be what's going on, right? Because they feel pretty confident that they're on the verge of getting Logan and Sabretooth. And then even though we haven't seen her yet, still, he mentions that they're about to have Domino as well. So I'm assuming we'll get some of her in issue number three. But, um... Yeah. So, what did you think of the art, Mr. Dan? I actually didn't mind it. Um, there are some um, land photocopy pictures. Uh, on the second to last page, the two, the second panel, the female's face practically screams every female face he's done in that sort of yes. way. And the third panel down, the guy's face looking looking to the side is literally what he uses for most most guys right. who have a issue you could put cyclops's visor you could wolverine's hair around it <laughs> that's literally his go-to thing but aside for some of the land choices i think he i think much like issue one he's improved a lot 
Um, well, he's done something. The horses look great. Even the robot and normal horses. The action's really like sort of clean, and you kind of do get a sense of like Warpath's Superman-style power in a sense. Right. Um, I think Wolverine and Sabretooth look great. Um, I still don't get why he can't colour Sabretooth's eyes properly. Why he has it's inverted black and white. Maybe because he's inverted. Uh, maybe oh, that's the reason. It's an axis thing, maybe. Yes, hmm, who knows? Um, I like. I think the robots look kind of fun, kind of like Brainiac skull robots. Yes. But um, the, the flesh thing is awesome. I think it's got some nice panelage and just nice colouring. It it certainly works with the whole sort of this is a slightly darker X Men book. It, yes. it feels quite ground. It feels the colouring and the art makes it feel very grounded, which I think the story helps the story a bit. I say grounded when you've got robots that can grow skin out of their back. <laughs> But if it feels it feels more of the sort of more of the like sort of contemporary X Men vein as opposed to like the, taking it back to the old school or anything. It feels very much like of now. But um, it's still I don't know certain. Uh, I have more issues with certain choices. Like there's like a Amanda Waller type as well. Uh, which kind of like, meh. and the whole weapon. I don't know the weapon X banter. Uh, it was all right, but I'm kind of like, why do they even need Domino? <laughs> and why would they even? Why do they need Logan or Sabretooth if Warpath's like some sort of? Because I didn't know Warpath had like a super healing ability. I, thought I didn't he, either. I thought he was. And that must be in Wikipedia, the Wikipedia entry as well. Um, <laughs> but I thought he was like super strong and invulnerable to a certain amount of damage. Right. I didn't think he like. Regenerated. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would make sense, right? I mean, of course, if you go back to the 80s, the early 80s, maybe late 70s, every mutant had some healing factor, right? They all they all healed because of their mutant powers, right? Um, <laughs> I remember uh, it was either, yeah, it would have been Claremont um, during the Dave Cockrum runs. Um, everyone, like, my mutant physiology caused me to heal faster. Um so yeah, that's funny. I do. Uh, you mentioned one thing. I want to point out. Uh, you mentioned the land drawing warpath action kind of nicely. And one thing that I think is also a change in his art, and maybe a subtle change. And not to say that it's perfect. There's still probably people that that you can look to that that, that maybe do this a little better. But his action had more motion and fluidity to it. Whereas in the past, a lot of his art was really, really great poses. But, like, getting from pose to pose, you just kind of have to fill in the gaps in your mind. And um, in th- these first couple of issues, it really feels like like you can sh- he shows you the action instead of making you kind of work for it, which is a nice nice improvement, I think, in his style. And, and easily my favorite panel of, of the entire book is Warpath with his... Are they still his vibranium knives he got from Storm? I assume so. Um, with his knives in the side of the plane, holding onto it with his teeth grid. Um, that's still my favourite panel of the whole book, I think. Yeah, he looks pretty pissed. <laughs> but I think I think um, Pack uh, knows his characters, so I think it's good. if nothing else, the book's gonna gonna actually look alright for a land book. Which is remarkable to say, um, and at the same time, 
I think Pat's going to make it a really fun sort of character book. Well, I, d- I don't know if I'm convinced on the, the actual... That's my only critique, is I don't know if I'm convinced on the story right. of it. Like, we need all of these mutants to to make cyborgs with mutant powers to hunt down other mutants. Is that what's <laughs> happening here? Um, <laughs> it kind of feels that way. But, um, I don't know, it feels very... Um, what was the f- Days of Future Past, where it was Mystique's power that them made the ah, Sentinels that killed yes. them? And healing factors are always, like, the best power. But I don't understand. How do you weaponize luck? Like, I don't know what they're going to do with <laughs> why they need. Because Domino, Domino doesn't have a healing factor, does she? I don't she? think so, unless she just luckily heals really fast, maybe. Well, you never know. Maybe for this, they just decided that she has one. Um, <laughs> I'll have to go check her Wikipedia page and see. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's what... Maybe that's the research. All the research you needed to do was just check the power section and all the Wikipedia. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you though. I feel like the book it, it flows really well, both visually and from a script perspective. And but I also agree with you. I'm not. It's going to be really up to to the Gregs to to sell me on kind of what the end game of this is. And I'm not. You know, it's funny because I've been one of the things I've done over the last few months is. For the first time ever, and I've talked about this on the show before, but um, first time ever gone back and I'm rereading the entirety of the original New Mutants run. And, um, you know, it's funny just the difference because, now granted, the first appearance was a graphic novel, right? So it was extra pages than just a regular comic. But it's funny how that gathering of the team like all happened in one issue and I feel like this gathering of the team is going to be like five or six issues long and that's not necessarily good or bad it's just a definite difference and it's it's weird that it'll be at least issue three or four before we see Domino it looks like she's on the cover of three so it should be three I guess but um yeah I don't know it's just they're definitely kind of, it's going to be a slow burn to find out what the end game of the Weapon X program is. And as long as there's a good payoff, that's fine. So we'll just have to kind of see where it goes. It's weird seeing how efficient the old comics are when getting everything together and getting everything <laughs> moving. I understand trying to like move it forward as like a, as, as, as a, what's the best word for it? As an intrigue. Of whoa, how are these guys going to come together? Sort of thing. Right. But um, I'm still like, mm, I don't know. When you've got when you've got comics there that can like bring together, bring the team together. In even now, like um, I'm thinking of Young Avengers, who can bring the team together within a matter of issues, one or two issues, or at least bring the core and everything together and deliver everything you need in one issue. Right. Sometimes I'm like, mm, do you really need? five issues to go these angry X-Men are together as a team I don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> but we'll see we'll see we'll see alright well so with all that in mind what would you like to grade of Weapon X number two I think because it was such a pleasant surprise last time I gave it a higher mark than it probably deserved but that's not I'm not going to penalise it I'm still going to give it like four out of six so I think it's still quite fun yeah like and it's breezy, it's punchy, it's got some great art, and I don't say that about land often. Um, and I, 
you know, and I would argue with the people who keep telling me that they shouldn't read the book because Land's on it. Because I think he's doing really good stuff for once. Right. Well, for the first time in a long time, it's probably there. Yeah, we've had two whole issues of no TNA. So, we'll see what the domino issue gives us. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> crossing my fingers but... that it'll just be, you know, all right. Well, he's been holding it in for so long, he's going to have to explode at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, but um, I'm right there with you. I'm going to give Weapon X number two, four out of six claws as well. I think, I you know, like I said, I'm with you for a lot of the same reasons. I think I enjoyed the interplay more than I enjoyed the plot. Like I, the art and the scripting were better than what the actual story was so far. And we'll see where the story goes, but I did, yeah. So I really enjoyed it, but not as much as the first one. But still, re- definitely recommend reading it. Um, you know, four out of six is still pretty good. So so give it a shot if you haven't already. Um, if you like the Wolverine type characters, I think you'll enjoy this one as well. All right. So next up, X Men Gold number two, and a little bit of a disclaimer. So. I know, Dan, you and I have talked about this offline and, and off mic already a little bit. But um, so between the time we recorded our segment on X-Men Gold number one and the next few days when I released the episode that covered X-Men Gold number one, all that blew up about, um, you know, the, the, the art thing and... Um, I don't know if we really need to get like into it deep. I think a lot of people have said a lot about it, and you know, Marvel has made their official stance and whatnot. Um, I think you and I both kind of agreed that there's nothing wrong with um, taking a stand and making a statement in your art, but it shouldn't be a statement of negativity and one that's fueled by by exclusion and you know, hatred and bigotry, that your statement should be fueled, especially in an X-Men book, by the by the values they stand for, you know, inclusion, um, acceptance, um, broadening your horizons. Make those kind of statements. And I think this book at least attempts to do some of that. We'll talk about that as we get into it. But um, I did want to at least kind of acknowledge that we're aware of what happened, <laughs> even though we didn't get to talk about it very much. And so... Any just kind of real general thoughts on that before we dive into this issue? Um, well, uh, if you listen to the latest podcast, uh, in the comics podcast, um, we talk about it a little bit on there. And I think we distinguish the idea that if you do want to, uh, you know, artistic freedom and freedom of artistic expression is totally valid. Um, and if you do want to, you know, put that hateful shit out there, um, um, Fire enough, but you're working for a company that reaches a global audience of children as well as um, others, and I don't think there's a, a a place for that kind of hate. Is there's nothing other than hate. There's not not that kind of hate in in the pages of uh, a comic book. Even if you do slyly slip it in in the background, it just shouldn't be there. Right. So, um. I agree with the idea of artistic expression and freedom of artistic expression, but when you're working for a company like Marvel and when you're doing a job, um, you shouldn't really cross that line. Because I'm sure Marvel have like 
don't put anything evil in your books, kids, as, a, as like a rule that they give to people. So, you know, you should probably just follow the rules. And like you said, the X-Men isn't a place for hate. It's a place for like acceptance and love. So there we go. Exactly. And so Dan and I have summed up the official view of the podcast that goes snicked. So <laughs> I, I, you know, I think, you know, it's funny. You know, you know, I've talked about this several times on this episode, what the X-Men has, has meant to me as a person, as far as at a very early impressionable age, kind of the way it, it affected and shaped my worldview and, you know, stuff like what happened with the art in issue one, just antithetical to what the X-Men have always stood for. And I think that's the part that bothered me the most is that it just, it doesn't fit with the X-Men. I mean, there's no place for, I don't think in, in mainstream comics. Anyway, like you said, you know, if you do want to espouse the hatred, remember who you work for, but especially in the X-Men, just completely out of place and uncalled for. But Let's talk about something maybe a little bit better. Um, X-Men Gold number two is written by Mark Guggenheim. Uh, penciled still by uh, Artie and Syoff. We'll see how much longer that is allowed to continue. Um, <laughs> Eat again by Jay. Shh, listen. Colors by Frank Martin. Letters by VCs Corey Pettit. And cover by Seoff, Listen, and Martin. And you know what? I am willing to separate personal opinions from artistic opinions and I think this cover is fantastic we have old man Logan on top of some rubble fighting the new brotherhood of evil mutants or about to fight and it just it's a great looking cover I think what do you think Dan I think it's a hell of an improvement over running away from golden light (laughs) (laughs) no this is a really fun cover even like for a person who's not a massive Wolverine fan it's quite a fun cover to see all these people lining up get, to get their heads sliced open with his claws. It's, it's, it's just, the cape the cape makes sense. The anger makes, in his eye, well, there is no pupils, but like the face, the, the anger in his face, the, you know, the claws out, the claws look great, to be honest. Um, I know how much you love your claw shape and angle. Um, <laughs> yes. I like the fact that the monster thing in the background is sort of almost like the rubble, and I quite like the... Is it, I don't know, I think it's Mask at the front. He's clearly yes. understand he's about to get his ass kicked. Right, he's like, uh, I'm not sure about this, guys. <laughs> I just, and I think uh, Magma is beautiful, like a female Johnny Storm, but beautiful nonetheless. Yeah. Um, I think it's a really nice, impactful cover. Sure. I agree, I agree. All right, so Dan, how do we start this one off? Ah, uh, in good old, good old times. The woman that was in the other with the woman again we start exactly like we did the first issue with the random woman um who doesn't like mutants very much who's being woken up and told that you should listen to the news because for some reason even though it was daytime in the last issue it's now nighttime uh, <laughs> in this issue uh, the led by the weird orange-eyed avalanche well no it's led by magma but that, those orange eyes scare me um <laughs> the, new, the new brotherhood of evil mutants are about to attack our fellow heroes, the X-Men. Poor old man Logan gets a f- face full of magma, literally. Mm. And uh, Kitty, like the badass she should be, is all like, right, guys, I need a little help. <laughs> 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 you know, like, 
uh, Kurt, you take him away, and I need a, a tiny bit of help um, over here. <laughs> and um, then we have... It should be awesome, and if I was like 12, it would be. But then we have the telekinetic fastball special. But then given the initials, I'm not sure about the cool initials. He's uh, like, I need a TFS stat. My kid is just a little too uh No, it's just not here. It's like Guggenheim, you're not Claremont. You haven't won my <laughs> heart yet, so you can't, you can't just use initials whenever you want. Um, but it's quite fun. You've got, like, you know, Colossus comes in. The art, um, I must admit that the art's really all over the place uh, for this fight scene. Um, but we'll talk about it a bit later. Because um, we're not talking about And then all of a sudden, randomly, we have Brainiac slash Mesmero, which is redesigned. <laughs> I really didn't know who it was for Fight Fire. I was like, is that, is that, are we, is that Brainiac? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, he, he appears out of nowhere, even though next to Kurt, and he tells Kurt to just disappear or bamf away. And um, Mr. N gets all my Logan all on fire and is like, right, we're going to take you somewhere. Yeah. And then we're back to the fight. Basically. Yeah. Um. They're still fighting. I did really like this panel um, where Avalanche kind of shoots them up in the air with the ground. The coloring on that looks really cool where, you know, instead of, you know, because you have your kind of iconic heroes, right? Um, yeah. I really think of like um, Batman, Punisher, Captain America, where they have these nice emblems, right? Like the star, the skull, the bat. And you've seen a hundred different artists do panels where they're like all in black silhouette except for their symbol, right? And this, we don't really have those kind of iconic symbols on the X-Men, but what you do get on this one is, particularly Colossus, he's all in silhouette but just random lines of color, which I thought was just a really cool effect. Like that panel just looked really nice to me. Um, And mostly, I think, to the colorist. Um, Yes. And then some... The uh the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants run away, run away, and just in time for the Shield helicopters to show up, and Colossus is like, oh, <laughs> so now we see the plan, and so now we meet a very polite evil Captain Hydra America, and um he's uh, talking to Kitty like, oh, I guess you're in charge of the X Men now, and he shows her the newest. I guess newsfeed that this Lydia, what's her name? Lydia, oh, what, like you said, what's her name? Um, Nance. Lydia Nance. Yeah, Lydia Nance. <laughs> uh, starts talking about how the mutants want to start a war, and she proposes her very um, Trumpian plan of just let's deport all the mutants out of America. That, you know, America has an unfair balance of powered beings compared to other countries so let's just send them all to I don't know Australia or something because <laughs> that'll work yeah um yeah so what do you and think then... what do you think of what was going on here with um because it kind of got kind of weird where I wasn't sure anymore is this avalanche and pyro or just someone wearing their suits I think it's just someone it's just like <laughs> He's asking, he's, yeah, so Cap's basically asking Kitty who the 
hell these people are, essentially. <laughs> and they basically both agree um, that they're different because the voices are different. So basically, there's two other mutants with the exact same powers, which is a thing that happens sometimes. Right. Two mutants with the exact same powers who just decided to like dye their hair and put the same clothes on as because the other two, the other Avalanche and Pyro, were dead. Which I don't even know if they are actually dead. Oh wait, yes, Avalanche is dead. His brain was taken out by Red Skull. Yes, yeah. Avalanche is definitely dead. Um, I think Pyro but, died during the Legacy Virus, maybe. Ah, uh, probably actually. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. And then it's like this one's mask, and this one I've never seen before. And for some reason, yes, that's Magma, and apparently she's evil now. Um, why does she say her entire name? <laughs> Like Amal, Amara Juliana Olivians Aquila? I was just like, is that her name? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> right, yeah, from the old old Nova Roma days, her, her formal title. Um, but Magma for much shorter. Uh, Kitty's very quippy in this issue. Guggenheim's try, real, trying really hard to make her sassy, which she can be, right? Like That's a character trait she has. I don't know if Guggenheim quite has it right, but I don't know. I'll, I'll give him... He does a better Wolverine, that's for sure. Yeah. I think he writes a better Wolverine, which the next next sequence is all about. Wolverine in a chair. With yeah. Mesmero, not Brainiac, trying to brainwash him? Trying to. He's trying fact, to get through his mental defenses, right? It's uh, very unclear what he wants to do. <laughs> yeah. Like... <laughs> And yeah, but th- yeah, I agree with you. I think his old man Logan dialogue, much like in issue one, is is one of the better uh, dialogue parts of the issue. Um, on these pages and the ones that we get to in a few pages, um, this really works. Um, so I, um, a thought occurred to me because of reading these and talking about these issues back to back. All these dead mutants, any chance that there's some kind of like creation that they're not actually the mutants possibly okay. <laughs> you never know maybe it's all connected yeah maybe it is all connected to weapon x and <laughs> the world just robots underneath <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know anyway we go uh we transfer from there to a scene from the 90s uh, where a green mutant is running away in new york city and he gets shot by what i'm assuming is going to be some kind of new anti-mutant vigilante force. That mask um, is really familiar. It does look familiar, yeah. Like, super familiar, and it really annoys me that I can't. Someone will know when they listen to this. <laughs> like, how dare you not know this? <laughs> Do you know why I don't know it? Because I don't care. At the moment, like, literally, <laughs> I have no... It's the most randomly placed... It's like he hasn't finished with this story, but he's trying to tell the next part, like the next story. <laughs> right. Well, actually, to be fair, that is very Claremontian. You just kind of stick a page in of something that's going to play out like two or three issues from now just to kind of say, hey, I'm starting this. Um, but yeah, oh, no. can't but... just be himself? <laughs> like, <laughs> I think the part... We'll talk about this more, but I think the problem is he's trying too hard to be Claremont. I, yes. It's that whole back to basics thing, right? Uh, mm. Back back to the, the thigh-high boots on everybody. and um, Yeah, but this guy is super... 
super like 90s vigilante. He's got lots of pouches, got a big old gun. Um, it's not a bad design, just kind of dated looking. Anyway, we come back to Madripoor where we team up with X-Men Blue. Oh, no, no, we don't. Um, <laughs> but again, Kurt is like, well, Mesmero, I think. And made him teleport away. I love that they, he has his own X-Men coffee mug. I think that's really great. It is very adorable. And then Storm actually has a di- sent, sent a, one bit of dialogue, which is always nice. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then we move on to... Um, this really random scene, like, I generally, uh, we're in New York again, uh, in a man, near a mansion, and um, Rachel has summoned Kitty, and then this random detective turns up, and is all like, you shouldn't be here, which is fair, it's a crime scene. Right. You know, super, you know, and like, we want to help, and she's all like, like you did, and like you did at the UN, and then is it Kitty? Was it Kitty that just turns around and goes, please don't make this about a race thing? I was like, whoa. <laughs> whoa, that's some pointed dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and she's like, I'm not the one doing that. And, <laughs> and all of a sudden we like snap to the fact that like the Brotherhood have stolen the mayor or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the mayor of New York City. And then it's just, it's these two scenes are really bizarre. No, right, I'm sorry, but CF can't draw a knoll because I'm pretty sure a knoll's not a hulking man. He looks like Savage sure Dragon. Not, yeah, I'm sure, like, all of those kids are kids, not, like, 20-year-olds, like they're drawn as. Right. I know this could be a CW show and they would be 20-year-olds cast as children. <laughs> but, you know, and so they have this moment where they've all been told they're getting deported. And the guy with the mohawk, who is literally at this moment in time, if these comics line up at all, is fighting the Asgardians in, in Thor. Uh, yeah. Um, and looks surprisingly younger um, in there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe because Dauntman can draw age. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe. the problem. Um, and then Storm sort of creeps in the back, which I generally thought she was naked at first, but she's not. Uh, she sort of creeps out of the shadow. <laughs> oh, she's in the shadows. <laughs> Just staring, and then we have a really—we have probably the best scene in the actual um, yes. book, yep. which is Logan just tearing his wooden chair apart, and I want to say he kills Mesmero. I don't know, maybe. So Mesmero has kind of exhausted himself trying to break into to old man Logan's perverted mind. He really wants to see those lustful images of young Jean Grey. Um, but, um, <laughs> So Logan's like, want to try again, bub? And then Mesmero's like, you can't get out. Those chains are adamantium. And I really like this line. He goes, boy, are you a special kind of stupid? He goes, the chain may be adamantium, but the chair's not. It's just regular wood. Then he takes the chains and chain chokes Mesmero. And then he goes, your buddy's goody. And we get a double snicked. And I got to say, as awesome as the claws are on the cover, inside this book, they're not as good. Um, They're really short and kind of stubby. Anyway, he goes after the the Brotherhood and takes them out. Um, And it's a pretty good scene. And, you know, not bad little action. Nice little fight. And then we have Rachel complaining about um, Cerebro. 
Yeah, which is weird. I don't really know what happened there, but um, apparently oh, it's just so upsetting for her to use. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, then, and then Kurt looks totally different in a um leather jacket combo. Oh yeah, he looks all cool. Yeah, he doesn't even look like the cat we saw at the beginning of the book, facially, either. So, it's kind of really odd. That's what I'm saying about this. This art's really weird and inconsistent. And then we have um, this moment where Kitty's trying to hack into things and... The dark web. Mm. Yeah, because, you know, we can't be any more dated. And um, (laughs) Colossus is all... The students are anxious. Oh, dear God. And all this jazz. And... um, Kitty seems a little perturbed, and then she gets a phone call, and it is Wolverine, who's basically like, right, I've done what I've had to do. Come uh, here, and we'll uh, pick up the, we'll clean up the mess, shall we? I love his line. He goes, uh, you got some paper and a pen handy? I got an address you're going to want to write down. That is a good line. I must admit that is a good a good line. But it kind of like, mm, it, it, <sighs> I think what's going to sum up the book is what's, what, sums, what sums up this entire run of X-Men Gold will be this book, that they pu- they propose that the Brotherhood is such a threat that they can take out Wolverine in a second, and Kitty needs Colossus, Storm, and Rachel to try and fight them, and they don't even get to beat them, really. They were losing to them. Yet, at the end, Wolverine, who just breaks out of a chair, um, takes half of them down with no real issue. That's because he didn't get magma in the face this time. Yeah, but I'm sure he could just shrug that off anyway. You know what I mean? Right. Teleport him off so we can carry the story on. It's not, it doesn't... (laughs) And there's something wrong. The the writing's all over the place. I don't know what Guggenheim wants to do. Um... Right. He's so far back in the past of trying to look back to go forward that he's not actually going forward. Right. He's just delivering really st- like even the rhetoric's kind of stale. The we're going to deport mutants kind well, of thing. It's, it feels like it feels very it feels very timely. Right. I think it's an attempt to be timely. I just don't don't know how much he really executes it because obviously, and I, I think. Y'all have some similar issues as well, but one one of the big things people are talking about right now in, in America is, you know, immigration and illegal immigration and, and plans to build walls and deport and all that crap. And um, so I think it's definitely an attempt to take a stab at that and to make a point and to say, hey, you know what, it's kind of the values the X-Men hold are kind of, you know, don't really fall in line with that kind of thinking. And, and I appreciate that part of it. So I think the, the, there's a germ of a good idea. And you know, I think getting back to the basics, you know, we talked about before we recorded and, um, you know, you had tweeted about this a lot, about some people being surprised at some of the political um, themes of, of this book. and But it's in the title. I mean, back to basics. The X-Men at their basic are high adventure and social commentary. Right? Like, that is the basics of the X-Men. And so, I think he's trying to do that. I think Guggenheim is making a very um, sincere attempt to bring back high adventure, evil mutants, and social topics. And I just, 
I think he gets hurt because, at least the way I'm reading it, his pacing seems very awkward. So there's not a lot of flow to the story. And so it seems like just kind of disparate ideas thrown on the wall, right? Like, you know, here's something about us. Let's fight some bad guys. And here's some, oh, our students are nervous because of the political kind of um, grumblings, you know, of those around them. And, and none of these are bad ideas. They just don't come together in one good cohesive story. And he doesn't sell it like, um, like an X-book should. Right. Like, I have no doubt, and we can make a bet, these Brotherhood of Mutants are probably in the pay or have something to do with the woman that wants to deport all mutants uh, using them. Because I remember Guggenheim saying, oh yeah, I'm g- we're going to get really into the deep part meaning of why Magma is on this new Brotherhood. And I'm like, really? Are we? After what <laughs> I've read, are we really ever going to get any deep meaning at all? Um, but I generally feel that's probably the way it's going to go. Right. Um you know, because uh, she's like, they call, if the deep meaning is they call us evil, so why shouldn't we be? That is just horrific. Like, like that's just like the worst bad guy reason ever. I'm evil, therefore I should. What What's that telling anyone? Right. <laughs> and like, no one argues it. No one, none of the characters, none of the X-Men, like they would do in Claremont or any of the other runs, would like call her out on it. Right. They're just like, ah, oh, it's fight time. It's fight time. It's <laughs> like, Kitty has to have like her, TFS, right? Whatever. And, and, TFS stat. Uh, <laughs> I, don't want, I want a T-shirt and, now that says, "I need a TFS stat." <laughs> and, and and Storm has to be relegated to movie Storm, where she says a few lines, but there is a glorified special effect. She is literally a glorified special effect, and the Storm I know would not stand in the shadows while nope. children are upset. Nope. She see if he really wants to to sell his politics, he needs to tell us both sides. Like, he needs to show the X-Men fighting it. This right. is just gloomy. This is just literally de- just gloomy. And to be honest, if I haven't re- if I didn't read this a second time, I wouldn't have... Are we go through it on this podcast? I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you what had happened in the book. Because <laughs> I, read, I, I read this. It was at the... It was a, I read my books in a certain order in my pile. Usually the things I like the most is at the bottom. Um, I read this near the bottom, so it'd stay in my head. And a couple of days later, I was just like... I have to talk about X-Men Gold. I've re- and I was like, right, so I'm going to say about the pot. What were the politics in it again? <laughs> you know, and I was just like, I'm, I'm literally going to have to... Because it's, it's, it's fundamentally, for me, fundamentally forgettable. And that's a major problem. Like, a, an absolute major problem with it. It has nothing... There's no hook. Deportation is no different to... Um, Genosha, no different to um, internment camps, and no different to walling off the institute with sentinels. You know, we've seen extreme prejudice measures against them. Right. Um, deportation seems quite light in the face of most things. I, um, I agree but disagree. I think I think you're right. Compared to X Men history, it is very light. I think it does give it though a very Not that none of those things, I mean, we've seen atrocities over and over again in human history, right? So any of those, those things are possible. But I think right now, like the most likely kind of evil or injustice we're battling of those would be a type of deportation that, that 
you know, some people in America and I think probably over there where you are too are actually talking about. And so I think yeah. it's an attempt to to say not only is this a threat facing the X Men, this is this is a threat facing all of us and I, I agree with you that um, it, is ti- it is timely and it has a relevance at the moment. But I generally feel like Guggenheim doesn't have the, um, the chops. sophistication yeah. uh, to, to... Because it feels like it's just... Because everything feels like it's a Claremont-era throwback. That just feels like a Claremont-era throwback. Whereas Claremont would also be this crass with his political um, allegories. I feel like he would give us both... So he wouldn't let the... The X-Men just sit there and let it all happen. He wouldn't have Kitty having a go at someone for being like, are you making this about race? That seems really out of character, like really off character. Like it just it doesn't even need to have a place in that book. Like why are they all so good? Like, they haven't, Kitty, Kitty basically, in the last issue, he, she apologised for being a mutant, essentially, for being naughty and being a mutant. She apologised. And in this issue, she's really guarded. And like, why are you making it about race? Yeah, it's like it's completely flips flips what she just was, and I don't, and I don't think he has the, the. I now believe we are going to get a moment where we are going to see kids, mutant children, being put on a bus or or a boat or a car because he has no subtlety that we'll have a page, an opening page where mutant deportation will be said in a giant panel above something, and we'll just have like a line of mutants being deported. Right. You know, I just I don't. I don't see how it's going to go. And then they're going to just have some magical political loophole because Kitty saves the day. <laughs> That's literally going to be it, isn't it? They're, they're going to save the day and save the mayor. And everyone's going to accept them. And it's like, yeah, we get back to being heroes. It feels like um, kiddie politics. It doesn't feel like anything. It feels more like a snapshot, like a look at the bad things, but it can be fixed sort of thing. It doesn't... It, there's no sophistication in, in the way it's going to be. I just don't feel like there's going to be any sophistication in the way it's going to be portrayed. And it kind of frustrates me a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> reading it, because like, it's got this wonderful wonderful Logan moment. Like The Logan subplot of him being tied to a chair is pure X-Men Logan fighting the Hellfire Club yes. sort of Logan. You know? yeah. that's, that's X-Men. That, that works. Um, the fight artistically is kind of all over the place like the book is each panel seems a little off uh, like there's some really strong splash pages and the small mini panels uh, are like really lacking in detail or, or draw lines don't seem to be human and faces seem to have changed from panel to panel and i think that's kind of indicative of the script if, if doesn't it feels like a like you said it's like a like so he's fired a paintball on a wall, and the wall has words on it, and they're all buzzwords and he, and and characters, and he just got it, and it and it is frustrating because you've you've got you've got some of the most heart-filled, compassionate X-Men in your roster, right. yet Storm, Nightcrawler, um, Colossus, even Kitty has yet to reassure anyone or act like themselves in in the face of this like new adversity. Even Matt Fraction's run, which literally um, had them go on the own island because they were going to be made illegal in the United States because Norman Osborn was in control. Even Fraction's run has the TV moment where the kids are freaking out, but then Scott and Emma and such far come and like, reassure them that it's right. going to be okay. Yes, exactly. And, and that's what's missing. It's really, really cynical. Fraction's run is super cynical. So like it's kind of like if if he can do it, then surely like the one that's supposed to be joyous should be able to do it too. <laughs> so, 
but we're not, I guess maybe we're not there yet. I don't know. I don't. I, I think the biggest problem I have with this book, and we'll talk about it here uh, in a little bit more in a second. Kind of the difference is, I don't necessarily trust Guggenheim to get me there. Um, you know, I think you know maybe some other writers could kind of rebound and and tie all this together in a way that's meaningful, and and maybe he will. But I just I don't I don't have that trust in his writing style and the history I have with him to, to feel like he's really gonna deliver all of this in a meaningful way. Um I would love to be wrong. I just don't don't have that with him. Um I agree, I think the art is there's some great panels, some great pages and then just some stuff that just looks like just not as much attention or care was given as some of the other pages. Um you know, you mentioned, you know, I'll mention again, and you mentioned, and I, I think if, if anyone that listened to this needs to understand what the best part of this book is, it is definitely the Logan part. And that, the scene, I guess the second time we go to that scene, after he breaks out of the chains and he's fighting the Brotherhood, even though the fight is way too fast, like that art is all pretty good. But then, literally, pages before that, like you said, Kurt looks different than he did. Um, the pages where where he zooms out, like I understand, like every comic artist for the most part does this. The farther out you go, kind of the less details figures have. But some people do it in a way that makes you feel like you're just zooming out and your eye loses detail and focus. And some people do it in a way that looks like they just slapped art on a page. And Seahoff is one of those guys, when he zooms out, at least to me, it just kind of looks like he just slapped art on a page and said, oh, they're far away, I don't have to really draw this. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, Pretty much. And there are some artists, like, um, like Adam Kubert, when he zooms out, yeah, stuff gets less detailed, but it feels organic and kind of natural, like you as a reader are getting farther away, so it's more obscured, but it doesn't necessarily look lazy, and... I don't know. To me, there's just parts of this book that look look lazy, and I don't know. I I feel like this whole book just up and down a couple of decent moments and some decent ideas, but just no real execution. Yeah, literally, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, when you, all that said, what do you want to grade X Men Gold number two? stuff and some of the art is okay so i'm gonna give it uh, two okay yeah two. yeah i struggle between a two and a three i think i'll go oh man um well just to be different because we were the same on the first one um i'll go three out of six claws but it's a pretty it's on wobbly legs <laughs> It's it's the claws from the Logan movie. They're not quite coming out very easy, and um, <laughs> one of them might get stuck. <laughs> but I don't know, and it's weird because so we're not going to talk because our mysterious quote unquote mysterious we all know who it is um, Wolverine character was not in X Men Blue number two. We're not going to go super in depth, but 
we will talk about it for just a minute. And one of the big differences, and I can't remember if we said this before or after we started recording, but, you know, X-Men Blue and X-Men Gold have a lot of similarities in intent, right, and what they're trying to do. But Blue just does it so much better. And both artistically and writing. Um, you know, first of all, just Colin Bunn and Jorge Molina are are just firing. Like, they're on, they're, they're both on their A-game for this book. Um, you know, you had mentioned, Dan, um, that you had Ian read these. So why don't you talk a little bit about what he thought, or if he's around, he can come say something, whatever you want to do. Um, I think you'll be too shy for that one. Okay. Um, but uh, I'll get him on next time. That's easy enough because he'll read well next time Blue's on. Um, but he's never read an X Men book really. I think I've given him one maybe, uh, and he wasn't particularly bothered. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. uh, the the only X Men he really knows is the the movies. So I thought screw it because it was an experiment to see if he he could you know if a new reader could read X Men Blue and go for it. Because I didn't want to give him X Men Gold because he nope. may have hated me forever. Um, <laughs> And not trusted me ever again. So I gave him X-Men Blue, and um, he really enjoyed it. Uh, the only big uh, question mark was, why does Beast know magic? Um, right. But aside from that, he said it was really straightforward. He didn't actually know uh, Juggernaut and Xavier were brothers. Because ah. um, uh, that's obviously not in the films, so right. he wouldn't know. Um, but he thought it was, uh, he, it was hilarious, and he thought it looked really nice, and he really liked the style, because he quite likes um, manga. And um, he said it was got that sort of yeah, I can see that in that style to it. And um, he gladly read X Men Blue today, and he actually said to me that he's now gonna just read X Men Blue until it gets boring. Awesome. So there you go, <laughs> it works. And that is a test. That's a testament to X Men Blue because you know number two is a very different change of pace um, to the first one. It's not super like. Uh, happy and joyous but because the first one was such a good jumping on point I think it's it, it grabs you and goes here you go here's, here's more about the characters more about Magneto and more about like the situation they're in um, drawn beautifully by Melina oh man uh, great um, and I think uh, Bun just knows what he wants to do with these characters each individual one and what pairings are going to work and he the dynamic between Gene and Magneto is, is just excellent, like really good. And some of the revelations that you get, well, not revelations, some of the sort of little hints and pieces of the new of the storyline moving forward. And the last page reveal is just okay. Where's this going? That's that's a good, like that that's. That's that wants me to come back. That's like begging yeah. me to come back, and I'm right. like, okay. So, so you basically, know, um, uh, Magneto has found yeah. like a Doom style um, time platform, one of those Times Square things, and uh, he's gonna try to send the X Men back, which really interesting because here he is trying to kind of shepherd them and use them as kind of his his task force, but all the while he has this kind of underlying plan to get rid of them. Um, and you would assume he has some kind of like reason. Like everything Magneto does is calculated, so he has a reason for wanting to do this, and it'd be interesting to see what that is. But yeah, I, yeah, I love this book. It is different. You're right from number one, but still just as good. Um, 
you know, you have the X-Men not not 100% trusting their leader, and they're even, like, having secret danger room sessions to prepare to try to take him down if it comes to that. And, you know, the whole dynamic of Gene being the leader, you have, you know, Bobby can't get a hold of Romeo, which I thought was, you know, just kind of, oh, man, you feel bad for him, right? And then that page where Gene... I guess kind of revisits what I can't tell if she's, if it's just like a flashback to when she read Magneto's mind or if she's somehow like saved like a, a, a data dump of his mind or something is going back to it, but she's poking around for deeper details and we get a full page spread where she walks through a door into like concentration camp Magneto. And that page is amazing. And just the emotion on it. And it's simple, right? It's not like these 90s, like, gut-wrenching, screaming faces. It's just Magneto looking down, the shadow work, Gene with kind of one big tear. And, man, there's just... And this book is full of that. It just it looks so good. It writes so good. You have a very weird, like team of sentinels that is obviously based on the all new X-Men even has like their Voltron colors like lighting up inside their armor um yeah I don't know um I mean we'll definitely talk about this book more in depth when some of the Wolverine characters shows back up but I did definitely want to mention it you know on as part of our resurrection episode um cause it's just it's still really really good and of all the X books we're reading so, uh, strong yeah it's just a strong book. I, it's an X-Men book that I've been wanting to read for a while, I think. Yes, me too. Something like heart and soul. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Yeah. It feels like an X-Men book. That's what, And I'm glad that like Ian really enjoyed it. And I think people who, who just read, who want them maybe, if you think someone would like an X-Men book, if any of you listeners think, oh, I, I, you know, I want to try and get someone into X-Men, I think Blue might be your best bet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so far. <laughs> Definitely, I definitely agree with that. It's, it's what you want, which is weird because you know if you would ask me on the outset, like, just just straight character lineup, I prefer the team from Gold, right? Like I I'm more invested in those characters just because of when I started reading, but this is definitely the superior book, and I've really enjoyed the way that Bun is just very quickly, you know I think you said this just a minute ago, just he's he knows what he wants to do and he's made these characters his own. And I don't know. I just, I've always liked him. I just get more and more impressed with Colin Bunn the longer he writes. And, you know, the more he kind of stays in this corner of the universe, the more impressed I am of what he does with it. Exactly. Cool. Well, any, any closing thoughts or Anything we forgot to say that you want to mention on any three of those? Any of the three of those? Um, no. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, Dan, thank you again so much for coming back on. Um, we, like I said, I'll keep, I'll keep doing this as long as we can make it work. Um, so we we'll look forward to seeing what comes around the corner next. Um, why don't you tell everybody about your Twitter, about the Intercomics podcast? Um, such a great show. I was telling you before we started recording, you know, listen, I, I think we have a lot of my listeners already kind of give you guys a listen anyway. 
But um, if you don't, or if you've been like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting around to that, we'll get around to it. Because, you know, one of the things I was talking to Dan about is that of all the podcasts I listen to, which is a bunch, it is the one that is most like, I feel like I'm in a room around the table with those guys. And I just, I want to like press pause and jump in the conversation, even though I'm not there. Because it's, it just feels like they're talking with me instead of to me. And I know that's weird to say because, you know, the whole point of a podcast is the listener listens to what we're saying. But it feels so much like a conversation. And if you enjoy those types of conversations about comics and about things related to comics, both both the good and the bad, you know, because just like this show, it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows. There is some crap that comes with reading comics. And sometimes, you know, it's the crap like the X-Men gold uh, controversy and sometimes it's just crap because the quality is not that good. <laughs> there's nothing like inherently wrong. It's just not that good. Um, but then also there are things about comics that are mind blowing and amazing and, and even not to sound too weird, but they can actually change your life, you know? Um, and so if you want to hear some good conversations about all those things, the inner comics podcast is a great place to go. So I think I kind of plugged it for you, damn it. Why don't you give the information? <laughs> I think I just stole your job. Um, I apologize. Well, <laughs> no worries. Um, I can't. I can't ask for better uh, a better uh, promotional spiel than that. To be honest. Um, well, yes, just in a comics podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at In a Comics Pod. Um, you find me on Twitter at Gizmo fifteen eleven eighty three. You can find. My co-host Jack is at JLW Chambers. Matt is at Geek Without Beer. Cool Beer is at Coolie Bear. And Rob is at Rogue Ant Eater. Um, come listen to us chat about comics. We can be stupid, we can be um, serious, but above all, we're full of passion. So it's, it should be a good listen. Definitely. All right, cool. Well, uh, for us, as usual, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at Snickcast. And, um, you know, as Dan said on the last episode of Inner Comics Podcast, I am the, the Wolverine. I think you called me Obsessed <laughs> Podcast. Um, and so if you want some more of that, uh, there's uh, the website has show notes and stuff. It's snickcast.podbean.com. And uh, we'll keep – I w- am going to be completely transparent and honest. Um once we kind of get through kind of the beginning of this resurrection uh, special episodes, I'm you know I've been doing like two episodes a week. I am not going to be able to keep that pace up, but you know we'll still get you lots of, of content um, nonetheless. And like I said, I'll keep having Dan on as as long as we can. So um, just want to thank everybody for listening. Um, go check out Dan and Inner Comics podcast and keep reading some good comics. And if you have um, any opinions or thoughts about kind of where the new X books are going, um, feel free to send them our way. Um, and then you can do that by Twitter or on the Facebook page or however you want to do it. We'd love to hear some some other opinions and be that whether you agree or disagree with us. We'd love to hear it. So all that said, um, we're going to go ahead and drop the episode here. So until next time, everybody, hugs and snicks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And snap. Uh, always a pleasure.